Wonderful. Well, in the past couple of weeks, we've been looking and we've looked at abundance. We are approaching Easter. So I want to speak today, today with that in mind on the supply of grace, what we have available to us in and of the grace of God and what that looks like as a supply in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to put one or two scriptures on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 3, and it says this. Blessed be the God, well, before I do, I love that acronym when we're talking about the supply of grace. What is grace? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. We're approaching Easter. We need to be aware of God's riches at Christ's expense. There was an expense when Jesus went to the cross. He did so freely for you and for me. We get to receive it freely through faith. There are riches that are available to us. So verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Don't you love that verse? Won't you turn to someone next to you and say, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Not that you could be, not that you should be, not that you would be. If you are in Christ, if you have believed on him, it is true for you now. I'm wanting you to repeat it so that you can get it. Verse 6 says this, To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in his beloved one. Why don't you turn to someone and say, You have been freely given his glorious grace. Verse 7, we're going to get this. I'll get you to repeat one more time, and then you can listen to me and not to each other. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. Can you turn to someone next to you and say, you have been lavished with the riches of his grace. I love that. I trust you are getting that. I trust you are hearing that. Ephesians 2 verse 6 goes on to say, we have been made alive with Christ. It means as God raised him from the dead, so too have we been raised. Not will be, have been. We have been raised with him, seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you are a believer here today, that is your position and that can be your perspective. That is what the scripture says in Ephesians is true of you. And verse 7, it goes on to say, in order that in the coming ages he might display not just the riches of his grace, we talked about that, but his grace is getting more abundant. abundant. His grace is getting more effervescent. His grace is increasing. He says, in order that in the coming ages he may display the surpassing riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. Sorry. I've got two scriptures confused there. Give me one more moment. In order that in the coming ages, they're just all so good. In the coming ages, he may display the surpassing riches of his grace that he has expressed by his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, because of his kindness towards you and me, he is expressing the surpassing richness of his grace towards us. I want you to get that. I want you to leave knowing there's something of God's riches that are available to you because of what Jesus did at the cross. I don't want to sell you short. I don't want you to leave here believing any less than the word says is true for you. Can we have a heart to receive what God is saying? I want to encourage you. This is going to be a bumpy ride because it's going to sound too good to be true. Yeah. But I'm only going to tell you what the scripture says. And I trust that you'll be able to take it and take hold of it. Because even as we approach Easter, John 19 verse 30, 
Looking at the cross, Jesus cries out, it is finished. And in that moment, God is unleashing a flood upon this world that is continuing for you and me here today. You can know this, that what, no matter what your need is, Christ has already supplied for it in and through the cross. No matter what your need is, let me say that again, Christ has already supplied for you in and through the cross. It was a comprehensive work that took place on that Good Friday. You can say to yourself, no matter what situation you find yourself in, here this morning, I don't know what's surrounding you, I don't know what's facing you, I don't know what's ensnaring you, I don't know what's keeping you in a place of lack, but whatever situation you might find yourself in here today, God's supply is with you if you believe in him and if you are aware of him and if you are able to receive that which is wanting to lavish upon you because you have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. Are you aware of that? What does that look like in your life right now as you see it here today? So we wanted to take a moment just to look at what does this grace look like in our lives. And I love how the, Matthew says it in the message, chapter 11, 28 to 30. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover life. Have you felt that you've lost life? You'll recover life. I'll show you how to take real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He's wanting there to be an unforced rhythm of grace about your life and mine. He's speaking to people that would have been under law previously, but he's saying something's going to shift and change, and you're going to be able to operate out of a place of grace that is not forced. And so there's a term in the market today that I want to just present to you and ask you that we can kind of ascertain where we fall, and it's this. Are you demand-oriented or are you supply-oriented? Where is your orientation? Where is your alignment? Where are you leaning? Are you demand-oriented or supply-oriented? Because when you become aware of God's constant supply to you, in that moment you know what it's like to live under grace and out of grace and the unforced, unforced rhythms of His grace. But conversely, when you are conscious of the demand on you, put upon you to achieve, then you start to find yourself under this legalistic taskmaster, and you find that you're actually living under law. What does it look like to live under grace? Simply this, the principle of grace is supply. The principle of grace is supply. Let me tell you, when you think this sounds too good to be true, I'm not trying to flatter you because you are not good enough and neither am I good enough in any way to meet the requirement to have that which has been supplied to us. Only Jesus was good enough by the perfect work that he did at the cross to free up the supply of what we can have in grace. But the principle of grace is this, that it has been and is supplied through our Lord Jesus Christ. The principle of demand is law. The principle of law, should I say, is demand. Law demands of you. Law says you shall, you shall, you shall. But under grace, God says to you, I will, I will, I will. It's a very different thing. Let me, let me just show you a picture of that. Hebrews 8, 10 to 12. Jesus, our great high priest, it is titled, who is ushering in the new covenant of grace. If you look at the subtitle in my Bible, this is what it says. 
This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, meaning after the Mosaic law, after that when he is ushered in, this new covenant of grace. I will establish, oh, sorry, the first time. He says, I will establish with the people of Israel this new covenant. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be my God and I will make them to be my people. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Isn't it wonderful to be in relationship with God and be able to enjoy the fullness of that under this new covenant of grace? No longer you shall, you shall, you shall, but I will, I will, I will. We get to live out of His grace, not living for grace, trying to attain to grace. We get to receive it and to live out of the overflow of His grace. You see, when you are demand-oriented, you are, I must do this, I must do that. I must do this. And the result is you feel stressed. You feel pressurized. You feel that you have to perform. You feel that there are expectations on you. You feel that you don't measure up. And when you trip up, you feel, I'm so broken and worthless. How do I even get out of this mess? And you keep, keep getting driven lower and lower and lower. But when you are living under grace the goodness of the smile of the Father over you and me. When you are living under grace, you see the rich supply of God providing for whatever your need might be, despite the demands that are around you. The result of it is this. I can have peace. I can have joy. I can have hope because I see God's provision and I'm fully focused on Him and His supply and I'm able to receive of the grace that's at work in my life. There's something beautiful about that when we understand the way that grace works. Are you demand-oriented or are you supply-oriented? There's something about when we know His supply that we become supply-conscious. And it's in that place of being supply-conscious that it's like a catalyst for the miraculous to happen, even in the ordinariness of your everyday life. I want to say when you are supply-conscious, the miraculous can happen in the ordinariness of your life, in the circumstance, your situation, where you find yourself. I can be at times very competitive with my older sister, Susan. Some of you know Susan. I love her dearly. She's probably listening to this podcast. Sue, please send me a couple Aussie dollars. It would be great at this particular time. Um, but uh, I love my sister, and we, we often go to the game reserve together. And this last holiday that she was out, um, we were going, and she was talking about just church and what she's been teaching into and studying in the Word. And she was sharing about favor. And I was sharing some things that we had been looking at. And anyway, we started to go and we had to find parkings and all of those things that happen on a trip. And she kept saying, you know, I'm going to press into God's favor, his unmerited favor, his un undeserved favor. I'm going to press into that unfair advantage. And she could rattle all these things off because she's been doing a, a Bible study into favor, which is an outworking of grace. But anyway, she was saying this and then she would say, no, don't worry about driving around. God's going to give me favor and we'll get a parking lot. There was this, uh, I mean, a parking space. There was this expectation and this, this anticipation about her. So I thought, okay, and then we did, and that competitive thing rose up in me. I was a little bit irritated, but anyway, we headed off to the game reserve, and as we were in the game reserve, she 
starts praying and she says, no, I, I, just the favor of God, Lord, I thank you that I'm going to see this cat. And I'm thinking, whatever, I'll spot it before you. And the next thing, she sees a lion where you, you just can't imagine to see a lion. And, and then we're driving and she says, Lord, your favor to see unusual things. And, and we hear in this heart, we hear these impala jumping around us. And Sue says, no, I've been praying. There'll be a predator after it. And I thought, no, it sounds terrible. Does God answer prayers like that? I don't know, but this is my story and I'm sticking to it. And the next thing we knew, we get in the car and there's wild dog running all around us with a little impala. It's terrible, but it was exciting. But it's terrible. But, <laughs> but I started to realize that there was something about her, whether I believed it or not, agreed with it or not, she was living in this place of expectation and anticipation of the favor of God to be upon her life, and that there would be marked results that would be visible for others to see God's goodness on display in her and through her. And I started to realize, George, what are you leaning into? Because it's great to lead into the disciplines and, and spiritual formation and all of those things, which are wonderful. But it's like you take parts of who I am and not all of who I am. You don't think you are worthy even when I said that you are worthy because my son was worthy and has poured out his worth upon you. And I want you to experience what favor looks like activated in your life when you are alive to it. Now, that excites me. It might not excite everyone else here. But there was something through my older sister that God ministered to me about the goodness, the grace, the riches of what Jesus did at the cross for me. And I don't want to live shallow or shy of it. I want to push, push into all that's available so that I might not only experience it, but that I might be able to make it available to others as well. If the favor of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God is upon me, surely I owe people an encounter that they can taste and see that God is good because of the fruitfulness that's at work through my life. Surely, surely that is true of you and true of me here. And the thing is this, when you are aware of his supply and what's constantly flowing to you, miraculous things can take place in that space because you're not looking at the demand. Your eyes are on the supply. Maybe you're needing healing physically or emotionally. Maybe you've got a troubled heart. Maybe you're just wanting peace because your sanity feels it's been pilled and you feel like you're, dis, you're disengaging, you, you're unraveling. What do you need? Maybe it's wisdom. What are we asking for? Are we turning our eye to the supply and the constant provision that is ours? from the generosity of the Father's heart, or we caught up in the demand that's all around me. Because I want to say it doesn't matter about the timing, it doesn't matter about the place, it doesn't matter about the circumstance, it doesn't matter about the situation. All that matters is that we come and we ask of Him and we can receive of Him the supply that is always available to us because He's never closing off the tap of what Jesus did at the cross for you and for me. That river is always flowing and flooding. And if we allow it to flood in us, it'll flood through us. And so we find ourselves in these situations where, where we are facing things and maybe there's a demand upon us and we just feel paralyzed and we feel we cannot continue. But I want to say that we need to get to our, the place where we are not focusing on the, mind, we, uh, on the demand. We need to turn away from the demand. We need to set our eyes on the provision that is ours through the supply of the grace of God. And then we need to allow ourselves to receive what that looks like in our lives. How are you doing in the midst of that? Are you looking away from the demand? Are you seeing a supply? Are you receiving by grace that which you need? James 1 verse 2 says this. It says we're going to face trials. There will be trials. It says that our, our faith will be tested. But that's a good thing. Because when your faith is tested, it develops perseverance. 
And perseverance is actually doing a work in our lives. It's completing us and it's maturing us. And in that process, it's saying that we might not lack anything. The problem is, well, this verse then goes on to say, if you do lack anything, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Saying if there is a lack, you, do, you will face these trials. You will have your faith tested. You will need to persevere. You are being matured. You are being completed. But it's not that you should be in lack. And if you are in lack, ask of me. And if you ask of me, I will supply to you generously without finding fault in you. Don't you love that? You can take that word wisdom. That's the context here. But you can replace it for whatever your need might be. You could ask, it says here, if any of you lack wisdom, but if any of you lack strength, if any of you lack courage, if any, any of you lack hope, any of you lack joy, if any of you lack purpose, ask of me. And I love it that it says, out of his generosity, he is the God who gives generously. You know what that means? The commentary will tell you. It's the God, he's the God who with single-minded liberality will give to you generously. Single-minded liberality. It means his attention's not pulled this way or that way. He's not distracted talking to you, but, but looking at that person. He says, I'm going to generously and of a single-minded nature with liberality, with no hold, with freedom, with extravagance, I am going to give to you according to your need. But then it goes on to say, that as we come to him, he finds no fault. The commentary will say he doesn't want anyone to hesitate. He doesn't want us to be reticent. He doesn't want us to pull back. He's not saying if you come, you've got to meet these requirements. He's saying, come to me. I'm not going to find fault in you because I am the generous God who loves to give generously. And I'm wanting to pour out my abundance that's already been paid. The price has been paid for you in Jesus. I want you to have the supply of what he's made available to you. Come to me. I'm not going to find fault. I'm wanting to give because I have already blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I don't need to re-bless you. I just need you to be aware of the blessing that is yours right right now through the finished work of the cross. Right here, right now. In the Greek, that phrase is, ask the giving God who loves to give generously. Some of us have not known the freedom and the boldness to approach earthly fathers or mothers or parents or whoever it might be, and to ask for things because we felt maybe we're not worthy or deserving. He's already counted you worthy and deserving. That's why he sent his son, so that you can experience the worth that he wants to pour out on you because he is the loving God, the giving God, who loves to give generously. That's who he is. This is also Jesus' heart. John 16, verse 24 Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. They hadn't been praying to the Father in Jesus' name at that point, because Jesus was still with them. He's going to be going. Says, so he's saying, until now you have asked nothing in my name. But this is all going to shift and change. And he goes on to say, ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. He's saying, you're going to get to ask in my name so that you will receive. Not George speaking, Jesus speaking. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You are going to find such joy in seeing God answering those things that you are praying about. And not only will you receive such joy, but you will be so full that it will be evident in your life as a joyful person. And God is going to take joy in your joy 
and others will be able to rejoice in what he's doing in and through your life. Jesus is excited about this. He wants us to be aware of what grace looks like when we are not being demand-oriented, but we are supply-conscious of that which is already available to us and has been bought in his blood. If you've got your Bibles open, you can turn to John 6, verse 1 to 13. And I want to just bring this point, that grace doesn't only meet your need, it oversupplies. Katia has spoken to us about abundance just in the last uh, two weeks. But Jesus himself walked in supply consciousness. Jesus himself was aware of the supply of heaven. And in this moment where he's going to feed the 5,000, in this setting, Jesus was clearly conscious of the supply of heaven, even in the face of scarcity. He's walking into something that looks scarce. There's no food around, but he's aware of the supply of heaven. And when he sees the, the five loaves and the two small fish, unlike the disciples, he's not intimidated by the impossibility of the demand that's facing him and feeding 5,000 people with just the little boy's lunch. He's seeing the supply that's available to him. The disciples are seeing the demand. So much so that the disciples are urging Jesus. They're saying, Jesus... Please send these people home. We cannot feed them. We don't have enough money to buy the food that would be necessary to feed them. They are seeing the demand and they are intimidated. They're saying, send them away. But Jesus sees the supply. He's able to take that which is little that comes to him to give thanks to God for it to be multiplied. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, that which is, li that which is little becomes much in the atmosphere of thanksgiving. That which is little becomes much in the atmosphere of thanksgiving. Are you aware of the supply of God? I want to encourage you. Take a moment to find just the little sign of the breakthrough that will come of God's grace and start to give thanks for that. And in the atmosphere of thanksgiving, you'll see the multiplication of what God is doing. But Jesus' eyes are on the supply, not the demand. And we know what happens was it multiplies. They are fed till their bellies are full, and there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. What an amazing miracle. Didn't only meet their need, but there was oversupply. That's what God's grace does, because grace supplies. When grace supplies, it is always exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine, because it's according to His power that is at work. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Ephesians 3 verse 20, and, and this is happening right in their midst. And it brings me to a question I want to ask to you, as I ask it of myself. Are you facing a five loaves and two small fish situation of scarcity in your life right now? Is there scarcity in your life right now? Have you been looking for the grace of God? Have you been asking of Him? Have you been expectantly anticipating and positioning yourself to receive from Him? Are you aware of His supply? Are you aware how His supply and His abundance weigh outweighs any situational demand that you might be facing. Because the disciples at this point were intimidated by the demand. And so they never got their eyes off the demand to see the supply that was available. So Jesus at the end has to gather these 12 baskets of food and has to bring them back and say, you know, all 12 of you had a problem with demand. Here's what supply looks like. And each disciple gets their own basket full of food. You know, maybe they would have got a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. But supply looks like this. You get more than enough. Yeah. You get to share it with others as well. What does that look like 
in your life and mine? Have you got areas of insufficiency where you need to see basketfuls of God's provision? And there's a reason for our supply. This, this, sounds, this sounds so promising, but what is the reasoning? What gives this substantiality? What, what makes this available to us? The reason for our supply is this. It's not because you are good or I am good. It is not because you are deserving or I am deserving. It's because 2,000 years ago, a lonely, beaten beyond recognition figure made his way to a hill called Calvary and to a cross. And it was there that Jesus was going so that he could take your place and that he could take my place, that he could carry your burden, that he could carry my burden, that he could carry our shame. He was going there to become what would be a curse. He was stepping aside from the blessing that was his so that he would become a curse so that we can become blessed. It was in that moment that he was crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that you and I here today can say, my father, my father, why have you so blessed me? You are so blessed, not just to a distant God that's forsaken, but to a loving Father that's blessed you. That's what is available to us. That's the source. That's the distribution point of the grace of God that is towards your life and mine. He was in darkness so that we can be in eternal life. He took all that we deserved so that we can be supplied and receive all that He deserves all the time. I love that. He took all that we deserve so that we can be supplied with and we can receive all that he deserves all the time. Now, I think we need to respond to that a little bit differently. All that he deserves, we get to experience that because of his provision and supply. We get to experience all that he deserves all the time, you and me. Can we just give a clap? That's just so be it. That's a... That's a powerful and a beautiful thing. That's the very source and the empowerment that it makes available, the supply of God to you and to me. And it's simply because of this reason. 1 John 4 verse 8 tells us twice. Sorry, 4 verse 8 and 4 verse 16. God is love. That's who God is. But what does love do? We know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. God is love and he loves to give. Jesus said this, he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus came to reveal the father heart of God, to fully reveal him. I want to say, even though Jesus is glorified, resurrected, seated on the throne in all his glory as king of kings and lord of lords, he still loves to serve and to give because that's the heartbeat of God. It's an amazing thing to be served by the King of kings and the Lord of lords because of his love for you, because he is love and love gives. And we see this with Jesus, this personal touch all the way through the Gospels. I love it when we look at the story of the leper who came to Jesus to ask him to make him clean. I mean, this leper was stepping out. He had been on the outskirts. He was desperate. He wasn't in community. He had no fellowship. And he's making his way into the crowds to get to Jesus, even at the risk of knowing he will be stoned because it's against the law of the day. But he's making his way, as we have seen recent time, recent weeks as we've been sharing, he's making his way to Jesus. And he falls before Jesus on his knees, worshipfully, and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Just remember this point. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't deal with them according to the law. 
I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't deal with us according to the law, but out of his grace, his goodness, and his compassion. He didn't say, how dare you break the law? You are unclean. You are a sinner. You should be stoned. No, he doesn't say that. There's something of his compassion and his love that goes out to the man that he puts out his hand and touches him and says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the man is healed. There's something to notice. Jesus touched the leper first. It's an amazing thing. Because this man wasn't only needing healing. This man, you've got to realize, has probably not been touched in a number of years. No one has probably wanted to look at him because physically he might have been unappealing. He's had no one to love him, to hug him, to put a brotherly arm around him. This man might have been married. This man might have had a little son and a little daughter that he hasn't been able to touch and love. This is the situation this man is. He hasn't felt touched for I don't know how long. And Jesus touches him because that is the grace of God. That is the love of God. And God's love gives with a personal touch. But what I love to see in this is God doesn't only heal him, he cleanses him. Because there's something powerful about that. The grace of God doesn't only meet your need, but it overflows and does so much more. Because here is a man who is out of community. Here is a man who hasn't known touch. And he's going to Jesus knowing that the ceremonial law says, if you touch Jesus, if you touch someone, they will be unclean. But he sees something about who Jesus is, that the supply of heaven is over open to him, flowing and imbuing him, and is accessible through him, that he knows if I go to Jesus, the flood of grace is so strong that when I touch him, there's no way that there can be a backwash that makes him clean, but the flow and the power coming from him will make me clean. And so he doesn't say, will you heal me? He says, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean, because he knows this man is not only going to heal, but make him clean and make him touchable and restore dignity and put him in community again. That is always the heart of Jesus. He wants to come to you and touch you, not only to meet your need, but to exceed your need, to, to reach you at the deepest level, to put you in a loving community with a heavenly father, with an older brother, and with the Spirit of God who walks closer to you than any brother, as a companion, as a counselor, and as a comforter. That is worth celebrating, little man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. And he has compassion on you and I. And he wants us to experience his oversupply. The oversupply of grace that's been provided to us in Jesus. My last point is this. Faith takes. Grace supplies. Love gives. Faith takes. That can sound a little bit greedy. But I want to say there's something about understanding what faith is in action, that there is a taking element to it. And there was a great lady, a missionary to Mexico in the early 1900s. Her name was Cornelia Nizum. And she um, had this statement that faith is the hand that takes from the hand of God. Faith is the hand that takes from the hand of God. Now, we're talking about grace. I'm not saying you've got to muster it up, stir it up, work it up, manipulate it up, try and harp yourself up to take hold of it. No, what I'm saying is this. Faith is the hand that takes hold of the faithfulness of God so that you can become full of faith. As Martin Luther said, he gave this beautiful quote, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his willingness. Faith is the hand that takes hold of the willingness of, uh, of, of the hand of God, his willingness and his ability, even as that leper saw. 
Faith is the hand that does that. And, and many of us will say, yes, but you know, I want to I seek God's face and not his hand. I want to tell you, I'm not wanting to seek just a part of his anatomy. I'm wanting to seek all that he is in its comprehensive totality. I want everything that's available to me in and through Christ. I want to take hold of that so that I can take hold of that which has taken hold of me. Don't romanticize it, actualize it in your life. We seek all of who he is. I know the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a beautiful thing in, in fellowship and relationship with each other. But there's nothing that pleases God's heart more than when we come to him to receive from him. It delights the heart of God. Actually, if Hebrews 11 verse 7 says, And without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You cannot come into the presence of God and not leave the richer for it. I want to say that again. You cannot come into the presence of God and not leave the richer for it. There's something, even as the wax from that burning down warehouse started to come over the city and our cars were full of this gray, shiny wax, I want to say there's something when you're in the presence of God about who He is that starts to rest upon you that you look different, that there's something tangible, something recognizable, something of His divine nature that touches you because you've been in his presence. You cannot leave the presence of God without being the richer for it. And that's not what I'm saying. That's what Hebrews 11 is saying, verse 7. But the challenge is this. Oh, you of little faith. You know, Jesus, he challenges his disciples. And there's so often I feel like this, Lord, I, I know that I'm meant to, to be operating in this faith and laying hold of your willingness. But, but Lord, sometimes I feel of little faith. And Jesus would provoke and he would challenge and he would encourage his disciples with this statement. He would say, are you of little faith? What was Jesus doing? He was saying, I'm so full of supply. Why do you take so little from me? I'm so full of supply. Why do you take so little from me? I'm so faithful. Why aren't you full of faith? Why is there so little? Why don't you receive of what I've made available to you? I love this. He isn't saying, oh, you of little fasting. He isn't saying, oh, you of little prayer. He's saying, oh, you of little faith. Why don't you draw more from me? Why don't you take more from me? Because I'm wanting to, out of the abundance and the richness and the surpassing nature of my grace, I'm wanting to lavish you. I've already blessed you with every blessing in the spiritual realm, in and through me. I'm wanting people to be able to see a display and a demonstration and an expression of my kindness of your life because my grace is evident and visible to be seen. That's not what George says. That's what Ephesians says. And that's what his desire is for you and for me. But why do we take and receive so little of the supply that's available to us? God's riches, his riches at Christ's expense. And sometimes our faith is so small that we, we don't want to be, you know, we, want to, we come from a culture of we want to be polite and refined. I'll take just a, just a smidgen of your supply, Lord. I'll just, just little, a little tap, open it up, that's enough, let's bottle it off. I don't want to actually take the full measure of what I need because that would be greedy and it would be unchristian-like. So I'll take like 75% and then I will struggle to add the extra 25% because I, 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 don't, I don't want to over-demand on your grace, Lord. You know, I don't want to place too much demand on your grace. And so we do this, but what actually happens in that situation is we start to find other means and other ways to sure up that lack. And we start to turn to other 
other people and other places. And it's like we're placing God on standby. And when he's saying, why do you turn this way and that way? Why aren't you looking and seeing the abundant supply that I've made available in and through Jesus? There was a reason he went so that you can live in the fullness and the overflow of the surpassing richness of my grace. And it'll be on display in you because of my kindness. It's my kindness that will lead you to repentance. And that repentance means to change the way you think so that you think differently and walk differently from that moment. What does the kindness of God in Christ Jesus look like in your life right now? And we're normally not great receivers. We so know, I know when we receive something you shouldn't have and I don't really deserve it. I want to say that we need to pray and we need to ask God, Lord, will you make us better receivers? Will you enlarge our capacities to receive? Not based on what we think we deserve, but based solely upon the grace and the supply that you have made available to us in and through the finished work of the cross. As Jesus is seated on the throne and out of his generosity, he's wanting to pour afresh upon us that would find no fault, would only find reason to release his goodness in our lives. Won't you increase my capacity for that? John 6, 11 to 12, the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples distributed to those sitting down. Likewise, the fish. Say this with me. As much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. So when they were filled, say when they were filled. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. He gave to the men, the women, and children as much as they wanted until they were filled. Sometimes we have a view of God that um, in his sovereignty, he it all depends on his will, whether he's going to give us a little bit more or a little bit less. You know, sometimes that's, that's how we view God. I want to say in the kingdom, the supply of God never runs out. The supply of God never runs out. The tap is never turned off. The rock or the obstacle is never too big that a supply isn't available and coming to you. I'm wanting to say nothing can turn off the supply of the riches of God's grace that's available to you in Christ Jesus because every hindrance, he's already broken, destroyed. He's made a way where there was no way. There is nothing that locks you off from who he is right now. No grave, no death, no sin, no penalty, no man, no decision, no legalism. There's nothing that can stop the grace of God being released in your situation right here, right now, because of Jesus and what he's done for you and for me. And I'm wanting to say to you, I'm wanting to encourage you, I'm going to start shouting, I'm going to say it to myself, are you aware of the supply of the surpassing nature of the riches of God's grace that's available to you because he's wanting to express and demonstrate his kindness to you, but not only to you, through you, because there are people that need to encounter a gracious God, a loving God that's not only going to heal them, but bring dignity into their situation so that the city, this nation can be different because you are believing God to be who he is and to do what he says he'll do. Are you believing that? Because I'm believing that. I mean, I'm happy and I'm excited and I'm rearing and ready to go. I'm expectant. I'm anticipated, anticipating, anticipated. Who knows what that looks like, but I'll be that as well. Wow, I'm excited. God is so good. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. Lord, I want to repent. Your kindness is leading me to repentance. 
It's leading me to change the way that I think because I've thought less of you than I ought. There's more of you available than I thought. Your love always gives, it never takes. It always gives, actually it gives more than we can take. We wanna open up our hearts and say open up. They're already open, let the floodgates of heaven continue to pour upon us, lavish us Lord, individually and corporately so that we can be a lavish expression of a generous God. I pray that in your mighty name Lord Jesus. Amen.